0: Hello and welcome to Keanu Club, like a cool breeze over the mountains. This is episode 79 or 80, and I'll explain why in a second. John Wick, Chapter 3, Parabellum from 2019. I'm Joey Lewandowski. Tick tock, tick tock. I'm Mike Manzi. And before we introduce our guests, the reason this is either 79 or 80 is because as we're recording this, we just found out that Mr. Keanu Reeves himself is going to be in the Between Two Ferns movie, releasing on Netflix, and I feel like that's going to be a shorter episode. I don't know what, what Mike's editing back load looks like right now, so one of these is going to come out first, either the Between Two Ferns one, or Keanu Club, or John Wick Chapter Three, so one of them is 79, one is 80. We'll just pretend that they're both wonderful, they're both in the Manzoukas-verse, That's all that really matters. With us today, we have our John Wick expert. Back from John Wick and Chapter 2, we have Mike Flynn. Hello, Mike.
1: How's it going? I am stoked to discuss what is very possibly the best action movie of 2019.
0: So this movie, I don't know how to be negative about this up front, but I want to be negative about it up front because I'm going to be positive about it for the rest of the time. This movie is, I think, probably better than Chapter 2. I think the first one, the first genre is just about perfect. And I don't think that this one is as good as the first one. I think my problem with this movie, and the reason I'm leading with the negative is because I'm going to be positive the rest of the time. My problem with this movie is that, I feel like John Wick himself is one of the least interesting characters in this movie. I think that there's so many people around him that are so much more colorful, and I feel like he sort of gets overshadowed almost in his own movie. And I think that's sort of the nature of the beast, that as this world opens up and as we get to know about the high table and the elder and everyone sort of behind the scenes and the king of the Bowery, the Bowery King, as we learn more about the world, the specific what makes John Wick such a compelling story, I feel kind of gets muddied in the message. I think that the fight choreography here is beautiful. I think that the story is good and I think it expands in a good way. I just couldn't really put my finger on, when I saw it in theaters, why I really liked it but didn't love it. And I think watching it tonight for the second time, that's what it comes across. That I think it sort of loses that it's, it's still a personal story, but it doesn't feel as personal. I mean, nothing can really feel as personal as the first movie. But I feel like the driving force behind John Wick's journey, behind the Keanu performance, you know, I feel like we lose that a little bit. And I think it's it's not a bad thing necessarily, because I think it expands in a good way. But it's a, it's a bit of a bummer, I think.
2: I uh, I hear you there. You know I'm I'm not as uh, I'm not going to be as hard on it, but I see what you're talking about, and I think part of that comes from it being you know a part three, and the idea that we already know a lot about Jonathan, Um, and we do learn more. We get his real name, we meet his adopted mother, and that's all excellent, but I, yeah, this one is more about more world-building, more expansion of the universe, and, you know, he's sort of our guide along the way and everything. You know, we get the Judicator and everything, we get the TikTok man, like, we get a lot of new characters as well as old characters returning and stuff, so there's a lot to get through here, so I understand they may have taken a little sort of backstreet with John, but... However, I don't feel like, you know, he's a different... I I, I don't know, I feel like I get what I want out of him in this movie like, it might be more the same, but I feel just like it's amazing uh, to see him in action, and and that's really all I need in this chapter, I guess and it does progress a little bit along the way, you know, like when he, you know, later on we'll talk about when he goes above the high table and all that kind of stuff, and what he's prepared to do to, you know, get his piece or whatever. Yeah, so, ultimately I do like this more than the second, not as much as the first, Uh, and I've seen it about three and a half times now, and I like Every, more every time <laughs>
1: i'm gonna be honest i think this is as good as the first one if not better uh, i would have to watch one and three side by side again i watched them all in the same day when it came out uh but i want to say that there is kind of a reason i think that this third film might not seem as cohesive when you compare it to the first one which is they envisioned john wick as a trilogy But I can tell you from my experiences working on that first movie for a couple of days, I had no clue that this was going to be the intellectual property that it ended up
0: being. Yeah, but I don't think anybody did. On the one hand, you have a relatively washed up action star looking for his great second act in life you know helmed by a director who was mostly a stuntman with like people you sort of knew but nothing about it really screamed this is going to be a hit it's just that it was so done so perfectly so like they might have envisioned it as a trilogy but i don't think that it was ever a sure thing you know i'm sure a lot of movies are envisioned as like the beginning of something bigger right
2: yeah now there's now they're planning a fourth so like they're going beyond their plans
0: I think if I have any complaint
1: about this movie, I don't get as many questions answered. I didn't know that they were going to have as much confidence and bravado going in for a fourth movie as they did in this because you never see Angelica Houston after a little bit. It ends on the cliffhanger of a lifetime. You don't get anything about his real name past the reveal. Giardani. What if this didn't make as much money?
2: Yeah, that's an interesting point. You know, like what if this was the end of the John Wick franchise here Uh, I don't think it will be by any means or anything but yeah that is a is a funny thought though
1: and not that I'm going to compare these because they're apples and oranges in terms of quality but look at the way Sony rebooted Spider-Man because they were clearly banking on that amazing Spider-Man 3 and 4 Amazing Spider Man 2 creates an insurrection in pop culture, and they never get to it. And Marvel gets the character back, and of course, they lose again, but whatever.
2: For me, part of the staying power for John Wick as a character and the strength of him, and why I adore the franchise beyond just like Keanu playing him, but like as a character, is just the simplicity of you know of his state of mind of his mindset like in that first movie you know it was about going after the guy who stole his car right and killed his dog like it was very basic uh, the second one got a little more complex but it was still sort of like okay here's your mission this one doesn't really he doesn't have like a mission you know what i'm saying it's just like stay alive and it's not until halfway through where he gets like a mission that he even then like doesn't you know have any i feel like have ever any uh, intention of fulfilling so like i think maybe that's another thing maybe that's the one thing i'm i'm missing when i saw it I was like there's something yeah he doesn't have like a, a to b destination kind of he's kind of just wandering around in this and that kind of i felt that a little
1: bit and it's an internal conflict the third movie. It's not the external conflict that the first one was where he wants revenge. And the second movie is somewhat internal conflict as well. I think this does sequels a lot better than say the Taken movies where They're just literally making things up as they go along because the first movie was a fluke, it was a hit, and then they're like, oh, well, we're just going to play around with the formula. But with this, they're creating new ideas, and I respect them for not pulling some giant plot twist out of their ass where it's like, oh, well, he's an undercover international secret agent or something. He's still a hitman. He's still John Wick. We don't know who, I forget his Russian name really is.
0: Jodhutani Janovich.
1: Yeah he's still the same cool son of a bitch that we know he likes dogs, and we know he's really, really, really good at
0: shooting people.
2: Yeah, and I really like how, as just a series, these movies take place back-to-back, like, literally, you know what I'm saying? It's over the span
0: of a single week.
2: Yeah, I love that about it, because, like, you know, it it makes sense why his reputation has sort of carried so quickly and everything, like, oh, like, everyone's heard he's back, and it's been and and still, like, not a lot of time has passed, and I really, I love that about the series, too.
0: Now, before we Leave before we end the podcast. I want to talk about the future. I want to talk about John Wick chapter four. I want to talk about the continental TV series. I want to sort of try to collect our brains, our thought power, and figure out where this could go. And I sort of have some kind of loose ideas that it could sort of become more narrow and more specific again, but we'll see. But before we do that, let's talk about John Wick chapter three, Parabellum. If you want peace, prepare for war. Mr. Mike Flynn, if you had to pick your favorite moment from this movie you know in a franchise one of your probably favorite i don't want to speak for you but one of your favorite franchises probably one of the greatest current franchises you know in hollywood today what is your favorite part of this movie be it a character a moment a line a scene a fight
1: oh my god there's so many choices Well, first of all, John Wick is my favorite intellectual property that's come about this decade. I cannot believe this is as big as it is. Can I get back to you with my favorite part? I really have to think this one over.
0: Sure. I can go. All right, Mike. So as we wait for other Mike, Mike Mansey, what is your favorite part of this movie? And do do not steal mine. And I, I fear that you might.
2: No. Well, I mean, like this one is sort of a deep cut. No intent, no pun intended. Okay, so like I have a new favorite moment watching it again today, but the first couple of times I watched it, it I, I just want to have to mention like that early on the knife fight, early on when they like smashing into like all of those things and just throwing knives that was that was my favorite part for a long time but like watching it now I have a completely new appreciation for the end in the end sequence when he's fighting the two guys the shinobis yes and you know when they like pick him back up and they're talking about how nice it is to fight him and meet him and everything like if you really watch that fight it's like inhuman like I mean I know they're supposed to be like portrayed as like superhuman you know fighting machines but like for real like I've not seen moves like that in film before and I think like the first couple times i watch this like you get a little exhausted because the action sequences are are just so amazing and so long and, and so you know complex and stuff but like that's my favorite part right now and it comes like really towards the end there and it's after like a lot of really great stuff but I'm just like so blown away when he's fighting those two guys for that long and it's just it blew my mind tonight.
0: So there's a cool bit of trivia about that, that because that fight was so long and so in-depth and kind of feels like boxing or just like any kind of MMA-like rounds, right? Like there's like, like they have, they battle and they breathe for a second, then they battle and they breathe. That there was something that I was reading on IMDb about how the director, Chad Stahelski, wanted them to break it up by like speaking to each other in Indonesian because it felt like there just needed to be like a little bit of something there. So he didn't script that in a way that it was, you know, written. It was just supposed to be like, there was just a fight, like he choreographed the fight or whatever, but they added in the dialogue to make it feel you know sort of I guess give like, within within the story within the scope of the movie to give John kind of a little bit of a breather and so apparently from that Keanu's like well I want to you know after I beat them I want to sort of say farewell to them and so he learned from them how to say basically be seeing you in Indonesian which what he, is what he says so like that whole like dialogue what sort of elevates that scene a little bit from just being a fight scene into being sort of like a not a playful thing because they're trying to for the most part kill each other but you know being a little bit more than just a fight scene is the not the improvisation of it but the added element of just saying hey talk a little bit you know in your native tongue
2: what i really love about that too and what relates to what you're mentioning is that it's not just you know sometimes in movies you just get fight scenes and fight scenes and i think in some john wick moments like there's just action for action's sake but what this really does is like progress the characters you know what i'm saying like here are two guys with the most respect for john wick than anyone to the point where like they're killing other people so that they could kill him later kind of situation you know and and i love like you know it just elevates the character of john wick and the myth of him and the mystery and also his badassness because of how he takes out these two guys and everything and and keeps going so it's an action sequence that actually like uh, progresses like character development
0: I think that was a that was a problem that I not a problem I had, but kind of a problem I had in theaters, like it just there's a weird element where it feels like he's trying to kill both of them and he's trying to kill Zero, the Marcus Costco's character, but they're not trying to necessarily kill him. Like I know they want to pay him respect and he's like an an older and aged veteran of this and they want to give him a little bit of a break, but I felt like it was kind of it was I, I understand it was a sign of respect. But it felt kind of disingenuous after we had seen two hours leading up or like an hour forty or whatever leading up to that point where everyone is going all out trying to kill him you know what i mean for them to sort of pump the brakes i like i understand why they're doing it but i feel like keanu at this point has killed 70 men or something right and he really wants to just get done with this just be done like whether he dies it feels like at this point like whether he dies or just gets free or just gets to escape or whatever he just wants this over with and i feel like he's still going all out as far as he can and they're holding back on him and it feels a little weird i know that real like they're they're portraying this in sort of a realistic way that he is just he's given everything is all you know this is a hell of a week for him in every regard and he just needs to fight these two guys then zero after that but it's just it feels a little strange to me to sort of slow things down and just like the respect for him like i understand like why that exists but i just don't know if it works
2: Yeah, it kind of reminded me a little bit of um, Lawrence Fishburne and Common in the sense that John Wick, like, if you gain his respect, he'll let you live, right? He won't kill you at the end of a match. And so maybe that's something that they had in mind where they're like, look, like, let's approach him on his level. Let's, like, not kid ourselves. Like, we're probably going to get beaten but let's at least take him on two at once. And, like, yeah, I hear what you're saying, though. It is a little strange, but I I don't think they intended to let him live when the fight started. I think maybe that's something I got that sort of throughout the fight, they felt like they were becoming friends with him or something, and that, you know, because they didn't, like, land a killing blow, he wasn't going to either, and it almost did become a spar. And, I don't know, I did find that kind of interesting, because it's one of the few fights in the movie where... It's almost like a friendly fight in a weird way.
0: Mike, what do you think about that? Before I say my favorite moment, do you think that that fits narratively into the story, like the understanding of why they're going slower, but do you have a problem with them slowing down for him or do you think that just, that's okay?
1: I absolutely don't have a problem with them slowing down. It actually ties into what I think my favorite part of the whole movie is. I think the last 40 minutes or so, right where the Continental gets assaulted, that's my favorite part of the movie. Those shotgun blasts are the coolest goddamn thing ever. Uh, Not that I support guns in any way or anything, but shotguns in an action movie are always simpatico with me. And I don't know what they got with these, but the fact that, number one, you had the shotguns, and number two, you had Ian McShane and Lance Freddick getting in on an action sequence. This movie gets ten stars out of five for me for that. Back to the point of they have to slow down, I think they did. I think they had to give that inner peace to the Wick character and show his humanity in fighting the uh, the guys from the raid and then the Costco's, and that fight goes on for like ten minutes. That was some they live level stuff. It goes longer than, uh, than common in the second movie. And... I don't think he's dead. He got stabbed in the heart, but he looked up at him like he was going to come right back at him like a pitfall. So I think the beauty of that is you get that loudness. And of course, if I was directing it, I would want it to go louder and louder. But I think as you see throughout the movies, the climaxes do get more intimate as they go on. Like, I think the fact that Vigo getting stabbed in the shoulder in the first movie is kind of a bullshit move. It's kind of a cheat after they had the chance to drop him off a bridge. And in the second movie, you have the big shootout in the art museum, and then he goes in and straight up shoots uh, What's-His-Name, the really annoying villain that ruins the second movie for me. I think that's par for the course with the Wick franchise, and it does fit
2: yeah I kind of like the concept where like he's sort of trying to build like these little alliances along the way maybe like you know he's got Lawrence Fishburne you know we'll do anything for him because he'll let him live I, I'm hoping Common comes back in the next movie I, I bet him and John Leguizamo like have a great history I hope he comes back and stuff and so it's weird how like even at the end with Ian McShane where he's like I'm not gonna I'm here to kill you but I'm not gonna kill you because you're against the table like he's almost a little gullible in a way now that he's back like he yeah trusts people too much almost you know it's, it's almost like his fault like he's trusting Ian McShane and then at the end like he double crosses him and it's like what are you doing it's like you see the look on his face like oh my god like how could you do this to me I thought we are friends and it's just like no
1: and you even get that sense during the whole sequence in Casablanca because he thinks that Halle Berry is going to jump right back to his side and of course the minute that they meet each other he almost dies
2: she shoots him she shoots him right away
1: and he and he cuts his pinky off and that particular sequence. That's kind of like the Canto Bright of the movie, like in The Last Jedi. But unlike Canto Bright, there is some narrative pull to it.
2: Yeah, it's the Casablanca's uh, Continental.
1: Yeah, it's awesome. And Halle Berry is basically the uh, main character in the classic PlayStation 2 video game, Dead to Right. I
2: love the dogs.
1: Yes, if you remember... You could press, I think it was like the X button, and your dog would jump and eat the villains.
2: Yeah, there was an old Shinobi game for Sega Genesis that would do that, too. You had like a little dog.
1: Shadow Dancer!
2: In terms of my favorite part, my favorite part when I saw the first
0: time for sure was the Halle Berry part, the dog part. Like I, just, I think that's so cool. I think for a while it becomes her movie, and I think that's so amazing that the movie with John Wick's name on it, with Keanu's character's name on it, becomes somebody else's movie and I think that this happens a few times in here I think that every time you know my favorite part this time might be just anytime Lawrence Fish runs on screen because he steals every scene he's in you know like he has the line where's the other line I am the throne baby I am the Bowery like just he just he's scary and realistic but also campy like he's able to tow these lines and thread these balances or whatever and it's fascin- it's I just love watching it and you know I don't know if we talked about it I don't remember if it had happened when we recorded our always be my maybe episode but now that we know the matrix 4 is happening right and Keanu was confirmed to return, and Carrie, Carrie Ann Moss is confirmed to return, and one of the Wachowskis is coming back to direct. I kind of hope that Lauren... Either, I hope one of two things, or both. I hope either Lawrence Fishburne comes back to that, or I hope that Carrie Ann Moss is in John Wick 4. I feel like we need to get the band back together, right? Because I did not realize that the Doctor in this movie, also for the Doctor from the first movie, is the Keymaker from Matrix Reloaded. I didn't realize. <laughs> That's oh, wow. amazing. Okay. It's the kind of thing where if I had thought that, I would have been like, no, I'm just being like not rudely racist but like just like oh I'm just confusing people but no that's the same actor the guy who plays the keymaker, who's awesome in Reloaded in this very small part is awesome in this very small part here too
2: they do a very quick Matrix reference in the knife fight I mentioned earlier where right at the screen one of the guys does the the Neo dodge he dodges one of the knives like you know on the building top at the end of the Matrix
0: oh well there's more than that I mean at one point Ian McShane says what do you need he says guns lots of guns which is straight out of the Matrix when he first comes up up at the end after Ian McShane re-equips him, and he and Lance Reddick go out, like, it's all tinted that same green that the entire Matrix is in there, and, like, the whole lighting queue is specifically for that, and, like, there's an elevator door that opens, like, that's basically, you know, the lobby scene in the Matrix, right? Like, it's just, this is, in a weird way, like, John Wick is sort of the evolution of the Keanu Reeves action hero through the years but this movie specifically is just like oh no we're gonna go back to not where he got his start because he already done point break he already done speed you know he'd done stuff before that but like the matrix made keanu reeves and we're gonna pay respect to that here and just i I don't know why in the third one but i love that it's just this is like the, the guns lots of guns is kind of equal parts grown worthy but also fun
2: it's just like why are you doing that but i get why you're doing that and i appreciate it yeah, plus I also feel like John Wick would have seen The Matrix and loved it because of all the gun-fu and everything inside.
0: But the one thing I do want to say, my, my most important, my, my favorite moment in this movie, which I'll also pivot into my least favorite, I'll pull the old classic switcheroo, the two-for-one, The my least favorite part is that there is not enough of my favorite character, the TikTok man. I adore the tiktok man because i love jason mantoukas the fact that he's only in the one scene in the beginning and then he comes back at the very very end i hope it feels like the fourth one is going to be about with john and the bowery king and hopefully the tiktok man and his whole like network of spiders and little birds or whatever all of that i feel that's going to be the the centerpiece of four. And I don't know if Jason Mantoukas is an action star, although I just said on a recent episode, right, that he, and I think, I don't remember what we were recording, but he's he just signed on to do an action movie with Mark Wahlberg. So maybe he's becoming an action star. Like, I would love a movie where it's John Wick and the TikTok man, Wick and Tick, and then just, oh you know, that this fuse is going to blow. And I love him in this movie. No time to dilly-dally.
2: Mr. Wick. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, I could see him being like the bomb maker or something like that, you know, like setting the fuses and everything. But that's great. And, and you know what, Joy? Like, if there's one thing I know about like Hollywood and movies, it's like if they want you to be an action star, they will try as hard as possible to make you an action star. And, you know, and it's amazing who it clicks with and who it can't and stuff. And like, I love that Halle Berry's here because, you know, it reminded me of her uh, like as Jinx and Bond and stuff. And it was like, oh, yeah, she does this stuff. Like, why, you know, she, she She'd do this and more things, and she's great at it. I do want to make sure that we give proper credit
0: and proper props to Halle Berry, who, you know, in the in the weeks and months leading up to this movie, all the training videos and training montages that have sort of become famous for the John Wick movies of Keanu Reeves training to become this action star, this, this iconic character. You know, Halle Berry was toe-to-toe with him. Like, she did everything he did. She was just as badass on the gun ranges as he was. You know, she really put in the time and everything about, like, reading behind the scenes says that, you know, Keanu and her, like, were together hand-in-hand the entire time, and it shows. Like, she... she... She is so cool in this movie and you know that's why like I said before the favorite thing the first time was everything about her. I think Partly because I wasn't quite clicking with the John Wick stuff, but when we get to her, she's so good.
2: She's so good. She's got an amazing presence in this movie, and it's like she's really threatening right off the bat, not just because she shoots John Wick right away, but like, you know, he's holding her marker, so he had to help her do something, right? Like, imagine that movie. Like, them team- well, we get a little snippet of it, like what it must have been like with them teaming up and stuff, but, you know, they mention hiding her daughter and all this stuff, and I'm like, oh, I hope she comes back in part and all this like it's just amazing how they introduce new characters and where they go and I I don't know the interplay and 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 her little sequence is almost like a mini sort of replay of the first John Wick movie I feel where like she's just capping everybody in the brain (laughs) like just like it's just like one of those shooting you know gallery sort of moments and it's just terrific
1: she's having the time of her life in it and I think It's a welcome break for her in a way, because when you look back at the X-Men movies, Dorne is not very well utilized and she doesn't get a lot to do in those. And when I watched her in this, it was like seeing another actress. I'm like, oh, my God, where has this Halle Berry been all these years? You know, she's not even like that in something like Swordfish, where it's the Joel Silver new metal version of Quentin Tarantino.
2: Well, I mean, it's almost like in the way like Atomic Blonde, where, you know, we knew Charlize was badass, but that movie really gave her a reputation where the public was like, holy shit, like, look at her go, like, look at her, you know, or like, when I was a kid, like, I remember T2 with Linda Hamilton, and you know what I mean? And and then she's back now uh, for another Terminator movie. And so that's what I sort of mean. It was like, you know, if you have the spirit, you can do this, kind. Of, like, anybody can really do this. And these are like, incredibly strong people, like, actually pulling it off. So it's really great to see when they go that well, you know,
0: I am really excited to see, I was, I was just looking at Polly Berry to see what I've seen her in and I completely forgot my favorite movie that she's ever been in. We're going to get to it very, very soon in the next year or so, Mike, The True True. We're going to get to uh, Cloud Atlas.
2: That's right.
0: Awesome. You know, I, I know that we uh, try to keep these now to an hour. Our, our, so if you're if you're listening to this episode, if you just found our John Wick, you know, Mike and I have done podcasts about Mike Mansey and I, are my co host over there, not Mike Flynn, not not our John Wick expert, although know, he's been on a bunch of podcasts. Mike Mansey and I have done podcasts about Nicolas Cage and Keanu Reeves and Charlie Theron and Shia LaBeouf. And we're currently working on Tom Cruise and Tom Hanks. So every other Friday, we alternate those. So that's Tom Hanks one week, Tom Cruise the next week. So every Friday, there's a new episode. And, you know, we're finally getting to the point now as we're recording this where we're about to turn the corner in Tom Hanks' career. And we're still a ways away from 2012. Like, we're 20 years away. But still, like, I can't, I cannot wait to get to Cloud Atlas. What is
1: your next, Hanks?
0: As we record, this as Radio Flyer. As this comes out, it'll probably be either Radio Flyer or Philadelphia.
1: Oh, yeah, you're, you're definitely getting to... Steve Hanks
0: hmm mm -hmm. Mike is there something about this that you don't like? Is there something about this that doesn't work for you? I know we've sort of all been, you know, pretty open to things we we do and don't like, but is there something about here that you think is like a quick fix or an easy fix or something you'd, you'd like to see changed if you had your way?
2: Oh, man. So tough to... You know what role is like kind of... And it's like, I don't know. I hate kind of... I hate ragging on in this movie, but there are a lot of new characters, and one character that I kind of feel like didn't really play as well as it maybe could have is the adjudicator. Uh, like I love this, I love the look of this actress, and I love like her presence and stuff. But there's just something about the character that's throwing me in the whole like order of the high table. Maybe that's it too. It's like in this movie we are gonna go above the high table and meet this guy, and it's like, well, who is who's this guy? Like he has the last word and the final say, and it's like, all right, well that's cool. But then like, what's this Adjudicator doing like running around. I don't know. It's it's all right. Like don't get me wrong. Like it doesn't break the movie for me or anything like that. And I'm and I'm glad what that character actually does is like while John Wick's away doing his thing with Halle Berry, like she's connecting the dots back in New York City. So she's going from the Continental to the Bowery and all over the map and all that kind of stuff. So so she's like you know keeping the movie going and everything. But um, I just wish we knew a little more about the high table and her and 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 like all of her authority and stuff because it's like yeah why didn't John Wick just, like, shoot her in the head at the end of the movie, or, you know?
0: I thought about that, too. I thought about, like, why doesn't he kill her here? And I think that it's sort of, you know, whoever she specifically works for, whoever her boss is, knows where she is. And if she doesn't come back, then they're going to come down even harder on this group, on this, on the Continental New York, on... Winston on John on every you know what I mean I feel like there's a there's still a level of decorum like even though these are all murderers and killers and vigilantes and bounty hunters and whatever there's still law and there's still rule and there's still ethics
2: Yeah, there's an etiquette, exactly, yeah, there's an etiquette, and there's a book, and all that kind of stuff, so maybe we'll get more of that in four, because, like, what I also love about, like, sequels and things are when you watch, like, a part two or a part three, and it makes, like, part one better, you know what I'm saying? Like, it retroactively, like, enhances the rewatchability, so, like, who knows, if we get, like, certain answers in the next go-around, like, she might turn out to be my favorite part of this movie next time I watch it, because it's like, oh, like, what... What what's going to happen with her is like awesome or whatever, you know, like whatever ends up going on. So we'll see.
1: I think the uh, the fundamental issue with the adjudicator, who, by the way, is a character that I love, is that she's very, very, very similar to Ruby Rose in the second movie. It's almost the same character, but she doesn't have the death mute angle to her. And I really want them to bring back Ruby Rose because he says, be seeing you to her at the end. And that's kind of his code word for, yeah, I almost killed you, but I'll see you sometime else and uh, almost kill you again. So it's kind of extraneous. It's like, say, there's a Batman villain, I believe, called the Puzzler, and I think his deal is that he tortures Batman with puzzles. So if you have, in a Batman story, the Riddler and the Puzzler, it gets confusing. Batman would get annoyed that some guy's sending him riddles and some guy's sending him puzzles. Just. Decide on one.
0: I think that the Ruby Rose character, and I think that what they did a really nice job in the second movie is that she was sort of not an imposter. Like, I think she was a cool character, but at the end, she never earned John Wick's respect fealty because at the end after he kills her right or he he like leaves her to die she says be seeing you he just says yeah like we're not going to see each other again and here i think that what works about the adjudicator is that it hints at a bigger picture and i think what you're saying mike manzi about how it's a little frustrating, because so I think that as we learn more and more about the world, I can sort of see there is a sort of a kind of in a way a frustration of like why don't we know everything about the world, right? Like it's it just if we know if you're if you are spending so much time to flesh all of this out, why is there still such a mystery at the core, like the driving force of all of this? And I think she works. Like that, that doesn't bother me, but I can totally see why it might.
2: And it wouldn't take a lot because I love what they do with Angelica Houston and the whole and that whole area and like that is John Wick's core origin right there. Like those are very pivotal pieces to his puzzle. And it's not like we gloss over them. Like we spend time there and we get a vibe of it, but like we're not we're not marinating in there. You know, we're moving on. Like he's just there to get to leave there. Like it's a ha- it's like a way station.
0: After her scene, it's pretty much exit stage left for her character. But I think that she's going to come back. Like, I think she's got to, she's got to, or like, or if not her, the idea of her and the, you know, the fact that, like, what is amazing about her character is that she is so, she's in such a position of power that she can make one phone call, just say, here's my badge number, deconsecrate, and just like, oh, everything, like, everything that we found is sort of held dear about this world, like, the small world that we exist in, right, the New York Continental, none of that matters anymore. Like, with one phone call, she can ruin everything. And that's a level of power that I feel they hint at at the high table, they hint at the elder and there's power there but I feel like we don't really see their power in a way that we see her flex her muscles and I think that it's fascinating to see her just be like, oh yeah, no, I can just shut all this down and by the way, I just did.
1: And there's kind of a thing where you... you can't get talent like Halle Berry and Angelica Houston and send them off kind of like just that they had their scene done. You know, when you think about it, it's plausible that they announced John Wick 4 right after opening weekend, because they can easily bring them back now, because they're big names, they're big characters, and people want to see more of them.
0: And I remember also in terms of the adjudicator, reading things right after the movie came out about how she was an important character for like for queer cinema and I think that's like it's a type of role and a type of actor that we don't see a lot of and I think that it's there's this interesting gender dynamics found at work in these movies like the tattooed girls or the tattooed women and there's a lot of things going on here that blur the lines and that in what is otherwise a red-blooded yeah let's go shoot some guys stab some guys let's see some bloody things like they're twisting the world in a way that is not done before and i feel like giving this character who doesn't look or sound or act like any character that you could really think of in maybe any action movie ever, who's not really a bad guy. Like, she's not the villain here. She's just a messenger. She's the messenger. And to have her be as powerful as she is, and, you know, I don't, I don't want to put it bluntly, but like, to look like she does is wildly important.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I I do love her presence as an actor and everything and stuff, and so that's why maybe I just wish the role was a little better for my taste, just for my like. Sure, you know, no, noticing, that makes like, sense. I, nothing against her as an actress or anything, but I and I do love her Elvish tattoo, like that's really cool too to see on her neck there. But I mean, you know, I feel like they're doing this more in this movie as well. Whereas like you know, it was a major major issue and problem I think for all of us in part two, where halfway through the movie, John Wick is sent to kill that guy's sister, and she just like gets naked. Goes into a hot tub and like slits her own wrist, and everyone's like, "Well, what the fuck? Like, what? What is what?" And and now in this movie, not only do we have like that character, but we have Halle Berry who's running a Continental. You know, in the last movie, we had Franco Nero running the Italian one, and you know, you know who runs New York. But like, it's great to see like you know running one of those hotels is like super prestigious. You know, you're not in service anymore; you're like running the hotel and stuff. And so, yeah, I feel like this movie's really making up for for some things that maybe they've like sort of fell back on in the last movie. In the first movie, we had that great female assassin, too, so that was that was a step, but yeah, they, they're they going in the right direction here.
0: Mike Flynn, what about you? What is your least favorite moment in this movie? Is there something about this that doesn't work that could have, if they'd done something differently, could have taken it to even to a, a greater level?
1: You know, I think that we're kind of in the midst of discussing what might be the one pet peeve I could find about John Wick 3 which is this. It's that they're saving so much more for the next movie, it feels like. You know, I wanted more of Angelica Houston. I wanted more of Halle Berry. I mean, how could you not want more of Halle Berry after that cast of like a sequence? And I get that you can't really do it without half-assing it and just having her show up as a part of a reshoot thing because she's based there. But you want more of them. And what if this ended up being the last movie or what if this ended up underperforming and it canceled their master plan to make a John Wick 4? I think that if you're, say, Marvel, you're safe doing the long game because you're always going to get returns on what you're doing. But the risk with making franchises like a John Wick is that there's always an unknown. And thank God that John Wick is young enough and popular enough that they can go and do a John Wick 4.
0: I think there is something really exciting and really energizing about having a movie be as hungry as the first one is that we're going to leave everything on the, we're going to you know we're going to leave nothing on the table we're going to use every part of the cow or you know like whatever the metaphor whatever weird metaphor you want to use that they're doing everything they can because they don't know if there's going to be a second one like we were talking about before right like you said that it was envisioned as a trilogy but they don't know if that's going to happen so maybe they're saving one thing here or there in their back pocket but I think you're right like I think that in this regard it's the same kind of thing as Marvel marvel it's like well this can't just be a movie on its own anymore because it has to pay up to what came before and also in a sense you know save something for the next one i think that's frustrating like i think it's a very good version of that, and I think it's better than a lot of the things that Marvel, you know, as much as I like most of the Marvel movies, and especially, like, all of the movies in the last, like, five years or whatever, like, it does get frustrating. Like, I kind of want just a standalone movie. And this is not gonna, this is not a standalone movie. I mean, it could maybe kind of sort of function as one, but for a movie that is not meant to be seen alone, you sort of need the whole story. I think this does a better job than most in that regard even though i agree with you that like it's why isn't there more of this oh maybe because there's you know there's gonna be a whole story about that in the next one
1: and i do want to exp- expand on your point that you made which is you know the first one they didn't know where they were going i didn't know that they were going this place i thought this thing was going to go straight on demand or something and it would look out and be this cool b movie that i liked but the thing with the third movie is they have a kitchen sink approach to the action sequences and the razzle-dazzle of that, but they don't have the kitchen sink with the plot where they're throwing everything at you. There's people that don't come back from the second movie and the first movie, John Wick. wasamo doesn't come back. So they're holding their cards. And if you compare this to, and again, I think that John Wick 3 is better than Endgame, but if you compare the John Wick franchise to... The isolated parts of the Marvel old movies that are Infinity War and Endgame, you have with Infinity War and Endgame a self-contained five and a half hour finale to 11 years of movie making. But at the same time, they knew that they were going to go in and send off their characters and start anew with fresh blood and a more diverse, for lack of a better word, palette of characters as they had introduced Black Panther and Captain Marvel and Spider-Man. But You put those two face-to-face, and what you're going to find is that John Wick 3, you're waiting for more, whereas with something like you're walking out of Infinity War opening weekend, sure, you're going to be waiting for more, but you know that you're going to get that continuation of the Thanos fight. So it's really different in terms of franchise ideology.
2: I hear all of this, like, it, it I, and I'm I'm right there with you guys in the sense that, like, there's almost too much and not enough for me, like, you know, and I'm not sure where it's coming from. And, I mean, maybe there is, maybe they could have taken one or two of these um, fights out of here, but I, it's like, uh, I just, like, because, like, do we need motorcycles and horses? I mean, if you ask me, yes, yes, but, like, they're the same, but, like, you know what I'm saying, though, but, like, technically or, like, visually, like, anyone else might be like, oh, that's sort of similar. If you had to, you could lose, like, the motorcycle sequence later like
0: you know in that regard I think what also kind of disappointed me a little bit the first time I watched this is that the first guy he kills Boban who's the N- NBA center who's the seven foot guy
2: you know he kills him with a book and then he kills people with a horse stabs him with a book Joey it reminded me of uh Hobbs and Shaw how do you stab someone with a book a more of a reason
0: why Keanu is the voice in Hobbs and Shaw boom crossover wow thank you Mike you're you're, you're too smart so the movie starts with him killing a guy with a book, then they kill a guy with a horse, then there's like motorcycle stuff, and then it just sort of becomes guns again. And I feel like if you're going to diversify, and the gun-fu is awesome, like like no, no movie, no franchise does gun-fu like the way these movies do the gun-fu, and I appreciate that no matter what they do, but at a certain point, if you're going to raise the bar and be like, oh, here's... Different ways are going to... Like, a guy kills a guy with a book. Maybe don't lead with all those cool stuff. You know, I, I just, in that regard, Mike, in terms of what you cut out, like you're saying, maybe you cut out a little bit of the shotgun stuff at the end because it's it just feels like a lot of that, but I don't know. I think you need the final battle to be... Of importance.
2: Yeah, that's the tough part. And the same sort of goes for all the plot points, and it's like, well, we want we want you to know a lot of this stuff, but then again, it's almost like, well, do I really, in this particular movie, do I really need to find out where the coins are smelted? Like, it's cool that we learned that and everything, but, you know, like, technically, that could have been saved for part four, and it just could have been, like, Halle Berry and him just have to go, like, ransack some place and find the guy. I don't know. I You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not writing these movies and stuff, but that just, I had, like, a feeling like that Where it's like, there's almost too much, and there's almost not enough, and I'm not sure where you sort of give and take here. Is there anything else about this movie? Like, I know that
0: we... There's probably more that we could talk about, for sure. But what else about this movie do we want to talk about that we want to make sure that we cover before we close up shop on John Wick Chapter 3?
2: Hmm, I love the dog motif that's, that's carried over. I love the color in this movie, right? Like, all the neon and everything. Like, it's gorgeous...
1: And they bring back the uh, director of photography that worked on the second movie that was also Guillermo del Toro's guy on The, sh- on the Shape of Water. And I think that the cinematography throughout this franchise is absolutely gorgeous. It, I remember Edgar Wright compared the first movie to Mario Baba, and I absolutely think that holds up in this movie, where the colors just stand out at it. It looks like a live-action comic book.
0: The memorable things from past movies are the sort of the color patterns, right? Like, it's the reds and the blues of the first one, and I feel like there's... When they go to Italy, there's different colors there, too, and I feel like they do sort of... And especially, you know, the glass, the mirror scenes at the end there. But these movies just do look... I guess, aside from the fact that they are choreographed beautifully, they just look beautiful, too.
2: And Keanu looks
0: beautiful in them.
1: <laughs> Keanu is just angry, and he's just so pissed off, and I love the way he acts at the end, and he's just sneering at Lawrence Fishburne, even though they have some degree of respect.
0: Him cutting off his wedding ring to the Elder is very symbolic. I mean, I think that's kind of a uh, the thing that means the most to you. you now, it now belongs to us. Like, you are truly, you know, you belong to us now. Like, you, we have sort of absolved you in a way, but now you are ours. And I think that that is, while on the nose maybe a little bit also really effective payoff for where this character has gone, right? Because it's all from, you know, his wife doesn't die. Like, it's not like his wife dies in one of these movies, but the whole reason he begins his roaring rampage of revenge is because the last kind of living memory of her is killed in the first movie. And so... I think getting to this point where he has to sacrifice the symbol that means so much to like why he's doing what he's doing is again a little bit on the nose, but also really poetic and beautiful.
2: Yeah, it's good sort of like we need to we need to make a really big point in a really short time. We only have this one scene here with the guy at the Beyond the High Table. And so for John Wake to cut off his wedding ring in the finger and not even keep the ring but give the ring to the guy and everything like you know like he's fucking serious about going back to new york and like getting the job done you know so pretty powerful
1: it's also very good closure to the arc of his wife dying in the first movie and then sort of there in the second movie but this solidifies that this is the past and now we're moving forward
0: do you want to die as the baba jaeger or as a man who loved his wife again that choice sort of I mean I, I again I don't know if that I don't know that he really wants to die I think he wants to be I, I don't know that it matters at this point. Like, I know that, he, you know, Winston's trying to appeal to his inner goodness, whatever is left there, but I don't know that it matters. Like, I think what he had, what he loved, was taken from him and now he just, essentially, if, you know, if he believes in an afterlife and knowing Keanu, I think he probably, like, instills in every one of his characters some version of that belief. Like, if he dies, no matter how he dies, he will probably be with his wife. So, like, I don't know that it necessarily, like, I appreciate the appeal to his decency, but I don't know if it really makes too much of a difference.
2: I hear you. I don't think- he necessarily cares about living i just think that he cares about killing at this you know like there's just more work to do before he can rest i think is like maybe what's keeping him going
0: yeah the kill counts in these three movies in the first one john wick kills 77 people in number two it goes all the way up to 128 and in this movie it sort of straddles the line right in the middle at 94 um so that is you know that's a lot of people he kills 300 people in a week which is you know
2: a lot a lot of people. Pretty good. Pretty, Pretty good. good. Yeah, I gotta say.
1: And I believe he's killed more people than Jason, Freddy, and Michael Myers combined in these three movies. Wonderful.
0: Oh, I think I remember seeing that, yes. And also, you know, if you if you want to break the math down further, if a, if a week is 168 hours, he's basically killing two people an hour every hour for a week. So that's... You know, no rest for the weary. No time to dilly-dally. No time to dilly-dally, Mr. Wick. Tick-tock, tick-tock. So the only other sort of interesting or notable trivia is that the role of Sophia the Halle Berry role. Here's a list of actresses who were considered for that part. Jennifer Beals, Ava Longoria, Salma Hayek, Penelope Cruz, Marion Cotillard, Uma Thurman, and Marissa Tomei. I mean, I love Halle Berry in this, but I would love to see Marissa Tomei as like a real cruel badass. I think that would be kind of awesome.
2: I'd like to see The Return of the Bride, Uma Thurman.
1: The last two are the ones that stand out to me.
0: I think that Marion Cotillard sort of did the version that she would want to do kind of with you know, Talia al Ghul, right? That we've sort of seen, like, I think that, you know, I think she's an exceptional actress. I think she's amazing. But I think, you know, we've sort of seen what that would look like. I think what we were talking about before, that this is a new look, to Halle Berry, and I think that's what stands out, right? Like, it's, oh my god, like I can't believe that this is her, right? This is the same actress that we've seen in this startling, striking new role. Like, it's great. And I feel, you know, we would have already, we'd seen that sort of in Marion Cotillard. I think, you know, Uma Thurman, it's been a while in that regard, um, just like Stane sang. And, uh, you know, Marissa Tomei, I think that would be incredible. Before we wrap up, let's talk about where we're going. I know there's going to be the Continental TV series, and there's going to be John Wick 4 you know, I feel like, is he getting revenge on Winston, or is he fighting a higher power? Like, where,
2: where does the John Wick story go? Yeah, Winston's on his hit list for sure. No more no more fealty to the Continental. It's now, he has teamed up with the Bowery Boys, and they're probably, I sense like almost, I think it would be great if there was like a Warriors-esque sort of vibe to the next one, where they go around collecting gangs of New York. That would be sick. <laughs>
1: They go full, like, Warriors or Judgment Night, Escape from New York or something. I am in.
0: So here's here's one thing, and I know that the, the movie kind of leaves it without much of an open-to-interpretation here at the end. I feel like... Things between him and Winston may not be completely severed. I feel like Winston knows that he has a propensity to wear bulletproof jackets. It's not like he's shooting him in the face. He's shooting him like in like the lapel, right? And I know that he's still literally falling off a building. There's a really cool thing I, I think we retweeted as uh, Cage Club Pod on Twitter of how they did that. That was basically like sort of a composite of two different shots. But I can sort of see them, in a way, teaming up to take down the high table. And that would be kind of chaotic. And I don't know if that's going to be the case. I think the simpler story is him and the Bowery Boys against Winston and his sort of the underground movement against the regulated, consecrated continental. But I can also sort of see, like, maybe just the fact that he knows that John Wick is impossible to kill, but when she's like, he's gone, he's like, oh, what do you know? Or, you know what I mean? Like, it's like he knows that what he's doing isn't going to kill him. And I feel like it was just sort of a show to be like, all right, lady, like, let's get out of here, you know, I gotta get back to business. And I, I don't think it would be wildly unexpected for them to sort of team up to take on somebody higher. I think either way, whether it's the Bowery King and TikTok Man and John Wick against the hotel would be great or could be great or the two of them against the higher power could also be great
2: it'll be great no matter what like we're there <laughs>
1: oh yeah one thing on my wish list for the fourth movie is that they give chow yun role mm. because he is the godfather of gun fu that'd be very cool we do not have it without him and i think he should be a member
0: of the high table
2: i'd love that for sure
0: Mike Flynn, any other thoughts about John Wick 3 before we close up shop and come back in, I guess, two years to talk about John Wick 4?
1: I think that I'll be seeing you in two years because I don't really have a lot to say more. I think I've accentuated my love of this enough.
0: I think that action movies to a certain extent are like comedies in in podcasting in that it's hard to really go to talk about it for too long without being like this was a funny joke that was a funny joke this was a cool scene that was a cool scene like it's the kind of movie where like it talking about it like analyzing it you can only sort of do to a certain point. And I think we had a great discussion tonight, but I think if you've listened to this and you haven't I don't know who's listening to this who hasn't watched John Wick three and you know Mike I forgot we, I should I still want to summarize the movies, but you no know, he kills a bunch of guys. Like he's it's for revenge, right? <laughs> like people know what John Wick is about. I feel if you're if you haven't seen this movie by this point, go see it. Like, if you think that you're going to like it, you're going to like it. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, there's not a mystery here. It's a really well-made, cool action movie.
2: That's what I was going to say. I mean, you're you're at part three of John Wick. Like, it's it's more, it's basically more of the same. And if it, if that's what you like, like, it's what I like, then you're going to really like it.
0: <laughs> and you are our part three expert. So, I mean, if you like it, it's got to be officially good. Yeah,
2: that's true. No, No doubt.
0: And actually, I was wondering, you know, this, I I meant to, I was going to ask you this earlier, but I want to sort of spring on you in the moment. I know that's really unfair. Is there another actor, I guess Vin Diesel, I just thought of another one, who's really known for multiple trilogies? Because like Keanu is known for a lot of things, but he's got The Matrix, he's got John Wick. Like Vin Diesel now has the Fast and Furious franchise, but he's got... You know, the Riddick trilogy, essentially, with a little bit extra stuff there. You got the XXX trilogy. What other actors, I guess it's sort of a more of a modern sequel culture, but, like, there's not too many who have multiple trilogies.
2: Stallone comes to mind a little bit. He's got Rambo. He's got Expendables. He's... Rocky. Rocky's... Yeah. Statham has the, I guess now, the latter, the the Shaw era.
0: He's got the Transporter. He's got two-thirds of the way to Crank. A Mechanic. Didn't he do two of those or something? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I just watched for the first time this past week and a half, actually the past week, uh, the first four Rambo movies and ahead ahead of Last Blood, and uh, should, number one, should have stopped after the first one, but number two, I had no idea, like, how good the first one was going to be, and sort of how two, three, and four were kind of exactly what I thought they were going to be, and it was kind of a disappointment. But Mike Flynn, thank you so much, thank you so much for joining us this evening to talk about uh, John Wick Chapter 3. If people want to find you on the internet, where can they find you?
1: It was my pleasure. Uh, Just go to my Instagram at Mike Drew Flynn.
0: Mike Manzi, any final thoughts about John Wick 3 before we come back later this year for Toy Story 4?
2: Yeah, I love it. I love the John Wick franchise. I can't Mm -hmm. wait for part four. I'm going to watch this one again real soon. And uh, yeah, I'll be seeing you.
0: Okay, cool. Well, for all things Keanu Club and all 25 shows in the network, including Hangston Memories and Cruise Club, you can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, mailbag at cageclub.me. Come back very shortly, or maybe it's already out. I don't know how this is going to happen. For Between Two Ferns, the movie, which is going to be a very short episode just talking about Keanu's probably one scene in that movie. Come back later this year for Toy Story 4, and come back you know in two years for john mike chapter four colon new york city maybe if 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 mike is an (laughs) oracle and sees things in his dreams i'm joey lewandowski and i'm mike manzi and that was mike flynn we'll be seeing you next time right here on kiana club